Welcome to episode 73 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at FanBolt.com. And I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney with LastOneToLeadTheTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. And we are going to start talking about a little fall TV since it's that time of year. All of, it is fall. It is fall. All of the shows are coming back, so I feel like it's finally time to start talking about it. Um, I want to start off by talking about The Good Doctor, because that premiered this week, and uh, we watched the pilot a little bit earlier this summer when we uh, we always do this event, Pilots and Pizza, where we order pizza and we watch pilots, obviously. Um, <laughs> but this is one of the ones that we watched, and I personally loved it. I don't think Mike really loved it. Is that fair to say? No, Ma- no Mike liked this one. Oh, you did? It was I the resident that Mike did. Oh, okay. So you didn't like the, the resident. The other doctor show. <laughs> fair enough. Um, so for those of you that are not familiar with The Good Doctor, uh, it stars Freddie Highmore, who is best known for his uh, role as Norman Bates on Bates Motel, um, which just wrapped up earlier this year. So now he's got a new show. Uh, This one airs on ABC, and it's a one-hour-long drama. It follows a young surgeon, played by Freddie, who has autism and is recruited into the pediatric surgical unit of a prestigious hospital. Um, The question, basically, that the show addresses is, can a person who doesn't have the ability to relate to people actually save their lives? So it's a little bit house-esque in the sense that you have a really brilliant doctor who doesn't necessarily have the greatest people skills, um, but obviously is a, a genius doctor and thinks of uh, you know ways to, to treat patients and save people's lives that a normal doctor might not consider. So, so yeah, what did you guys yeah. think about this? I thought... Um, I think this is a really good role for Freddie Highmore. It's not something that he's really done before, but he's such a good actor, and I feel like he's perfect for this role. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I liked it. I think I probably liked it the least amount of our group, maybe. Why? I, def- I prefer... I don't know. I My biggest worry is that it is going to fall into the same formulaic you know storylines with each episode like i don't i worry that it won't be able to branch out of being um you know oh you don't fit in here and then of course he's going to save the patient with some spectacular in some spectacular fashion and it's just going to be the same kind of thing each episode well it worked for house i know it did work for house and that was my biggest problem with house you know like (laughs) I liked the first maybe couple of seasons, and then I completely fell off it, especially once, like, that core group of people left in-house. I know they came back during later seasons and stuff, but I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it's from the same creator as House, so, I mean, I guess they're kind of applying that formula to, to this. So, I mean, we'll see. It's only been one episode, and... It was a good episode, I will say that. And yeah, I do love Freddie Highmore in this. He's he's great for the role. But we'll see. I I really liked it. I I really like I thought Freddie Highmore was really good in the role. Um, and it brings up a lot of interesting uh, decisions that people have to make uh, when you're dealing with somebody uh, that that is this high uh, level um, of um, of uh, savant syndrome and autism. Um, 
So I, I so I really liked it a lot, and I'm it's already on my DVR list to record uh, for the new show. So I was I, I was do, very happy with it. I do I did really enjoy the the graphics that they use and the like the way they you know show how basically how he's thinking and right when he's solving the problems that was really cool. And I'm I'm a big fan of Hill Harper. Um, he plays one of the doctors and. Um, I'm just a big fan of his, so I, I was going to watch it anyway because he's on it. So He's on it, and uh, Richard Schiff is also on it, who, of course, is uh, best known for his, his role in West Wing. And we had an interview, I guess, two years ago on the Atlas podcast uh, with him when we did the West Wing reunion in uh, Austin for ATX Festival. But um, so, so what you guys are kind of saying here, that the formulaic, you know, knowing what's going to happen is discouraging for for a show at this point um you know what's coming and we're so used to kind of the the binge watching of television now where you sit down and netflix style and you can watch all eight episodes and they don't necessarily have to follow a formula in every single episode because that's not really how it's meant to be watched whereas with network and and broadcast tv you still have you know, people that are tuning in once a week and you can't really yeah. do the, the season-long arc. I mean, you can, but... You can, but then you quickly catch on to see how, okay, this is how everything's going to play out. Like, it really... Right. You really notice it when you watch it one after another after another. Right. Yeah. Right. But that that being said, I mean, with House, it, it definitely was formulaic. You you met the patient. You know, you don't know what's wrong. You don't know what's wrong. You think you know what's wrong. You don't know what's wrong. At roughly 50 minutes into it, they're they're going to die. At roughly 54 minutes into it, House has saved them, and they're going to live a long by some, life. By and, some miracle thing that yeah. doesn't have anything to do with the patient. He just comes up with it. It's like, oh, yes, that is what we need to do. Exactly. And then, yeah. And it's like the rarest so, yeah. thing that's ever happened to anyone ever, and um, it except me- for lupus. Except for lupus, <laughs> but um, but that being said, um, does that are we at a stage of television where that kind of programming just doesn't work because we've been introduced to things like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime where you can binge it? Is like, do do you guys feel that? the formulaic TV, the NCISs, the, the medical shows like this, the the shows that definitely have a formula in every single episode, do you feel like those are going to end up um, almost being on the way out because we're so used to digesting TV on our own schedule now and binging it? No, I don't, I don't think so. Because, like, I will admit there is definitely still an audience for it. I mean, that's why we have, like, how many, like, 10 different CSI and NCIS shows. Right. Those are still highly popular. So, I mean, yeah, I still think there's an audience for it. I'm just saying it's not for me. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I I think there's there's an audience for it. And, um, you know, it... It, it, and the reason is because it this still works. It's it's still it's still viable and it still works. It just depends on the show. But um, as a as somebody that's watched NCIS from the very beginning, I still watch that show. I still look forward to it because I enjoy the characters, um, and and I've I've grown to really like some of them a lot. Some a couple which I didn't like at first, but now I've I've grown to like them. And that's one of the things that you're. You evolve with these type of shows where you get to know the characters so much better over the years, um, and 
uh, I think that helps. Um, unless the, you know they, you know, a lot of times what happens with with long running shows is the showrunner leaves, and the original vision of a show gets kind of lost. Um, I, I mean, we've seen that you know even on some of our favorite shows like Gilmore Girls that last season kind of floundered around a bit. Right. Um, so, but I, I still think there's a place for formula television. Um, and it, like I said, NCIS is still an incredibly popular show. Right, right. I mean, I think that's just TV in general where we grow with these characters and we love these characters because they have, they can develop over years and years as opposed to movies where, you know, you have a character and you have two hours. Right. usually. And if you're lucky, you'll get a sequel where you can explore more. But TV, I mean, you're allowed so much more freedom. And I think that's why a lot of writers and a lot of people are seeing, like, okay, TV is kind of where it is at now because they can explore these characters and stories more deeply. I definitely think that's true with, um, you know, the HBOs and Showtimes and FXs and Netflixes. I, I don't know if I necessarily fully think that like the the ABC Foxes CBSs are there yet. Um, I definitely think they are more. Uh, I mean, like what we're talking about the the just the formula. I do think, um, and it, I feel like it's it's weird to say this, and I and I don't mean this in like a weird way, but I feel like this season with what we're seeing with a lot of fall programming, like autism is kind of like it, it's the hot topic i don't want to say it's like in but um it was definitely something that was in the zeitgeist um for shows that networks wanted to you know have a topic uh that a show was built around because we've got this with the good doctor and we've got um young sheldon which i also kind of want to talk about because it got picked up um for for what was it a second season already or a full season? Yes. Um, no, it got it, it's got, got both a full season and it's already been picked up for a second season. Which is Jeez. crazy because it just premiered earlier this week. And um, so, if you're not familiar with the the zeitgeist, basically what it is is it's this this book or this document that exists in Hollywood where um, studios say what they're looking for. So you know we're looking for a show about autism, or we're looking for a show about adventure, or we're looking for a show that has you know these types of characters, and and it can basically say all of these different things, and then that gets passed around to production companies, and they look at developing shows around. Um, what the studios are looking for so that their shows are more likely to sell. Um, so I think that that had to have been in there looking at what we're seeing with The Good Doctor and then Young Sheldon. There's a couple of other shows as well. But I do want to talk about Young Sheldon because um, we watched that pilot. Did we watch that pilot? I don't think no, we did watch so. that pilot. Nope. We, we, <laughs> we watched the original pilot for The Big Bang Theory. That's what we watched. and that From, uh, from long, long ago. Yeah, you can uh, you can find that like broken up into ten pieces on YouTube in very poor yeah. quality. If you want to watch the original version, in which um, Sheldon was a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and there was no Penny. There was there was no some Penny. Um, it's a very different show and one that I don't think would have been as successful as as Big Bang. But I almost feel like anything that Chuck Lorre like he touches is going to be successful. Like. Um, so I'm not surprised that young Sheldon is. I just um, I haven't seen it, so I can't make the the full call on it yet. And apparently Mike yeah. Mike forgot to to tape it, so uh, he hasn't seen it either. So maybe we'll talk about young Sheldon on a future episode. Um, but I do also want to talk about one of our favorites that came back this week. Uh, this is us 
which if you are and no spoilers here so don't worry um, yeah because I still have yet to see it but I will I, I'm not gonna ruin it but I will say it, <laughs> the question that you expected to be answered in the season finale is answered in the season premiere so if you are a fan and you have not you didn't catch the the premiere um, watch it as soon as you can before it happens to be somewhere on social media and you get really upset that you didn't see it um, yeah. because it's they don't go into a lot of detail but you just find out sure. how something happened and um, it's really heartbreaking I'm sure they just mentioned it in passing and then a future episode they're really gonna well they nail it through right yeah I mean they show they show they, the they, aftermath they show? of something yeah they show okay. the aftermath of, of what happened and it's um, it's really really heartbreaking just like every episode of this is us I mean, like yeah. if you don't that's, cry that's this the is entire us. show <laughs> I'd like something is wrong with you and you're not human I mean, if you don't cry they should show. just <laughs> they should just change it to to uh, this is us crying. Exactly. Because, I mean, that's basically what we're doing. <laughs> it's a nice emotional cleanse for you every week when you're watching the show. Um, sometimes you just need a good cry, and this is us will consistently provide that for you. Um, but uh, that's back, so definitely check that out. And then we have um, a bunch of shows uh, that are are still coming back. There's um, the Gifted and Ghosted, which um, The Gifted, of course, films here in Atlanta and, and Ghosted, um, which I think I'm the only one that liked with uh, Adam, I, S- I Adam liked, Scott. I, and I liked yeah, it. I, <clears throat> I didn't like it. I liked it. I think it's got potential to fall in the kind of... Uh, I mean, you've got Adam Scott from Parks and Rec and Craig Robinson from The Office, yeah. both bringing that similar kind of comedy um, to this and it, and it being about essentially paranormal ghost hunters um yeah it's over the top but it's they're great together they're great together and they're they're it's, it's a little too campy though i think well it's a pilot though it's, i mean yeah, it's i don't way too campy yeah but again it's a pilot I mean, i'm i'm intrigued by where they will go with the season i'll i'll kind of follow along yeah for the time being at least I will watch anything that Adam Scott does. I, I actually just watched um, Little I Evil. Say, have you seen Little? Yeah. Little, yeah. And you know what? Um, I really liked it. It was, it's, it's. I haven't seen it yet. It's good. It's, uh, you know, it's about this little kid who's um, basically the devil um, or the Antichrist. And it's uh, Adam Scott's new stepson. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's really funny. It's the right time of year for it. And it's on Netflix now. So check it out because it's awesome and it's funny. And it's just a good kind of comedic horror film. Um, but I like that Adam Scott is starting to do all of this genre stuff. Like it's, mm. it's, it just makes me happy. Um, all of that being said, I'm going to let you guys talk about some of your favorite stuff, and then I, I'm going to just come in with a guilty pleasure at the at the end of this conversation that I think everyone should be watching. Favorite stuff of fall TV? Yeah. Coming out? Yeah. Well, I know. I probably like this one more than anybody else during the pilots and pizza. Um, the re- or, yeah, The Resident. Well, that's mid-season. Which is another... Is it mid-season? It's mid-season, yeah. Yeah, it's mid-season. Well, it's still fall, right? Or no, it's, we don't spring. know. Winter, I think. We don't know. Well, it's it's coming. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> it I'm is looking this... forward to The Walking Dead. There we go. There Walking you go. Dead is coming out in a month. October twenty so second. October twenty second. Is it twenty sure second we'll or twenty third? More. Let me double yeah, check on that. 
I want to well, say I'm, it's, I'm, it's, I'm pretty sure it's I'm the 22nd. Look, yeah, it's the 22nd. I'm looking forward to all the CW uh, shows coming back, but it's weird. I was uh, I was looking at <clears throat> setting up my DVR for the fall and and you know making sure that I got all those shows except for Young Sheldon, which I somehow didn't remember. Um, there's a ton of stuff that's coming in mid-season that I really want to see. Um, uh, there's a there's a, NBC's got a show called Good Girls, um, and Mae Whitman's in it, who I just adore. Um, it's about three suburban moms um, who are trying. To, they're just they're they're getting tired of making ends meet, and um, they decide to uh, rob a local supermarket, and uh, stuff just goes wacky from there. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, so Mike can talk about mid-season, but I can't. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <What>? Double standard. <laughs> no, I'm no. I just no. I I preface it by saying that most of the shows that I want to that I'm looking for of new shows that I want to see are are mid-season replacements. Um, Life Sentence is another one. It's Alan Cumming who plays an ex-CIA operative and. Um, He's pulled back in his old life when uh, there's a because there's a killer on the loof and the NYPD needs help. Um, Kevin, uh, one show that is premiering, I think, yeah, it's premiering uh, on ABC is Kevin Probably Saves the World. That's uh, with Jason Ritter, and it's basically he is a guy that um, he's he's basically been been a jerk his whole life and. Um, He's kind of on a downward spiral, and uh, he gets visited by some some celestial being named Yvette, and tells him that he's destined to, if he uh, he can save the world if he changes himself. I believe and that one's filming here. It is filming if here. I recall. Yep, yeah, that's an Atlanta so show. I've seen some casting casting stuff then, for that. And then and there's a couple of uh, CW shows I'm looking forward to. Black Lightning, which is another one of the part of the DC universe that's shooting here in Atlanta and also another one is Life Sentence um, that's with uh, Lucy Hale Um, she plays a terminal cancer patient who basically uh, finds out that she's cured and um, now she's got she's made all these life choices based on the fact that she was dying Um, and now she's not and so it, she's got to deal with all that, and uh, it, the the pilot uh, is just really, really good. Um, so that's the stuff that I'm looking forward to. Well, um, something that is coming back, and I just wanted to bring this up because I feel like it's the perfect transition into our next topic. Um, my personal guilty pleasure that I think I've like totally nerded out on on every single Uber ride that I've been on that's had a female driver because like everyone watches the show and doesn't want to admit it like females I feel like maybe not so much guys unless their their girlfriends make them watch it um, but 90 Day Fiance is coming back <laughs> on um, uh, on uh, October sometime next week. I don't know the actual date. Um, I'm recording like all variations of this show now because there's 90 Day Fiance. What happens now? There's the regular 90 Day Fiance, and there's uh, 90 Day Fiance before the 90 days. So that's the best one because that, Lord. that's when they meet each other for the first time, and you see all of these people that have like um, just met online or however they ended up meeting. And now they're um, seeing each other for the first time and spending like two weeks together basically to decide if they want to get engaged and then, you know, start the 
the visa process of being able to um, essentially what happens is they they come over to the states and then they have 90 days in which they have to get married before the end of that if they're going to stay in the states. Um, oh, so they're basically trying to get a green card. That is what the majority of them are trying to do. Good um, lord! And it's it's what 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 channel is this on? I want to say it's TLC. Let me double check that. Um, it's just it's such a it's such a train wreck. It's like impossible uh, say, yeah. not to watch it. It is TLC. Has, yeah. Has anybody ever like married and like stayed together? Uh, yeah, there are do they, a do few. They, do they follow up? Okay, here's yeah, yeah, they do. So they have um, they have like 90 Day Fiance, what now? And then they have like a happily ever after, which it basically <laughs> looks at them after they've gotten married, and. Uh, Basically, all of these are train wrecks, and there's sometimes there's one couple that you're like, oh, okay, you know, they they're probably gonna make it, and they're probably gonna be, um, they're probably gonna live happily ever after, but most of them don't, and it's it's just something that if you want a guilty pleasure show that makes you feel um, a lot better about all of your life choices, <laughs> then uh, check this one out just because it's uh, you watch this and you're like, oh my god, how can these people um, think that these like that these decisions that they're making are good because like every single one of them is bad like they're spending their entire four like their their entire entire uh retirement fund to like go and you know spend two weeks with this person to decide if they're going to propose to them and sometimes the person's like actually dating someone else in the country or they don't speak the same language at all and they have to type what they're saying into a translator app to talk to each other good lord um but is, it's is, just is there a 91 day divorce there, there should be. There should be. Uh, I would watch that, too. Um, all of that That's being said. It's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure. Um, it's the only reality show I've watched, but um, it's, it's entertaining. And I bring this... Don't you watch all those HGTV reality shows? Those aren't really reality shows. <laughs> um, yes, they are. She, I mean, I guess they are. with trepidation. Yes, they are. Don't even get me started on that because Chip and Joanna Gaines announced that this last say, season is going to be the it, season five will be the last season of Fixer Upper, and I'm still mourning that. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. <laughs> are we going to have another another funeral? Yes, we are. We're going to have a wake <laughs> when Fixer a Upper wake. ends, just like we did for the Muppets. Um, well, it's such a... And for the United States. Oh, yeah. We, we did have a wake for, for our country <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, I bring up 90 Day Fiance because I feel like it's a bunch of weird dysfunctional relationships. And apparently something weird and dysfunctional is happening in Austin that Mike is going to talk up to us about now. Yeah, so um, we were uh, about two or three weeks ago. We talked about Alamo Drafthouse, and we wished that they would come here. Um, and Tim League is the co-founder of Alamo Drafthouse, and um, they uh, Alamo Drafthouse has has besides the theaters, they have uh, Mondo, which does uh, posters and all sorts of other collectible stuff. They even have an art gallery. They have uh, Neon, which is their uh, their theatrical um, uh, releasing company, and then they have a website called uh, Birth Movies Death. I don't remember if it's Birth Death Movies or Birth Movies Death, but anyway, it's a website. And uh, the guy that was in charge of the website, he's a he's a film critic. Uh, I'm going to mess up his last name, I think probably, but Devin Farasi. 
um, was uh, accused of uh, sexual harassment. And at first he denied it, and then he admitted it. Um, and so Tim League uh, then uh, uh, fired him from uh, the website. Um, they, uh, they, right now, uh, they've got Fantastic Fest going. And Fantastic Fest wa- is a really fun, I've never attended, but I've got friends that have, a really fun film festival. It also deals with TV, a bunch of other stuff, but it's basically sci-fi, uh, uh, venture weird films, uh, collectible films. Um, and it was founded by Tim League and by Harry Knowles. Now, Harry Knowles is one of the first guys on the internet to start up a website. He has the Ain't It Cool News website. And he started this website up in the 90s when nobody else was doing stuff. Um, and he, he's a institution in Austin. Um, and he and Tim Lee created this Fantastic Fest. Well, people, when they got the Fantastic Fest uh, program, they found out that uh, Devin Ferrasi was was still working for Alamo Drafthouse because he wrote a bunch of articles in the uh, the uh, the Fantastic Fest um, uh, 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 forum, and uh, just really pissed off a lot of people. Uh, Ferrasi had gone to rehab for alcoholism, um, and it's and basically Tim League then said, "Well, look, I I like giving people second chances, but he 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 issued a really badly worded um, uh, uh, statement about why he um, hired Devin Ferrasi." Uh, Devin Ferrasi then, because of all the uproar, especially in Austin, um, Devin Ferrasi then resigned once again. So now um, it's come to light that Harry Knowles, this co-founder of uh, Fantastic Fest, uh, was being accused of also doing sexual harassment. And a lot of times it was at the Alamo Draft House. And apparently people have known about this sexual harassment uh, for years and years. Uh, women have been warned just to stay away from him if it happens. Um, he apparently does it, has done it both in person and through Twitter with direct messaging. Um, and I think we're up to like five or six women now that have accused Harry Knowles of sexual harassment. Uh, Knowles has denied the first woman uh, that accused him of it. He denied that, but he has not said anything since. He has um, taken a leave of absence from Ain't It Cool News. His sister's now running the website, and he says that he is also going to rehab. Um, but it's just, it's uh, uh, Harry Knowles was kicked out of the Austin Film Critics Circle, um, and Alamo Drafthouse has severed all ties with, with Harry Knowles. So it's just a very disturbing thing because Austin's not that it's not a huge city, um, and, and the the film community there is pretty pretty um, uh, small, and everybody knows each other. Um, I've gone to to the to the Austin Film Festival a couple of times, and of course, Emma and I have gone to ATX, and I've gone to South by, and I met a lot of these the Austin critics. Um, but it's just they're really shaken up right now in Austin. Um, and uh, it's just a it's just a sad time. I, who knows? Uh, there's a lot of pressure now in Austin uh, to, for Tim League to to resign from Alamo Drafthouse, um, just because of what's all the stuff that's going on. So that's what's happening in Austin. It's just a sad story, um, and it's really sad because apparently a lot of people in the, the film community there knew that that Knowles was doing this stuff, and they just never spoke up and never. 
There was, you know, and their solution was always just, oh, well, just, 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 you know, don't be in the same room with him, which is hard to do because he was at every event. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've seen him all, all the time at, at South by and at the Austin Film Festival. So, just some sad news out of Austin. That is. That's uh, yeah. pretty messed up. Yeah, and I imagine this is still like only the surface. Yeah, there's like, probably I a lot more. Things are just gonna come out in the coming weeks, and so. Yeah, and some some of these some of these women uh, that are accusing Harry Knowles of the sexual harassment actually worked uh, at the Alamo Draft House, and that's why I said a lot of this stuff happened at the Draft House. Right. And they actually there are a couple instances where they they brought it uh, to uh, Tim League's attention, and basically his solution was. You know, just don't be in the same room with him. Right. Yeah. Which is why people are calling for him to right. That's correct. resign. Yep. yep. Well, this is, um, there's no transition to make from that into our box office report. <laughs> no. um, because that's, that's a serious topic. Um, so I'll just go right on into our box office report. Um, this week... Uh, Coming in first, we had Kingsman, The Golden Circle, with $39 million. It came in second with $29 million. Uh, the Lego Ninjago movie premiered uh, in third with $20 million. American Assassin, $6.2 million. And then Mother rounds out the top five with $3.2 million. Uh, the movie that I had no desire to see, and I think Mike really regretted seeing, Friend Request, um, <laughs> opened in seventh with uh, $2 million. Um, and I, somehow that had a $9.9 million budget. Like, what? Like, there are... I, I didn't see it, so I don't know what about that movie required a $9.9 million budget, but... I don't know. They don't... There's, there's, a, lot, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of CGI stuff in it. It was shot in Cape Town. Yeah. Maybe it's expensive there. Maybe. It just seems like... I mean, the whole movie just seems like just a, a yeah. bad idea, but the budget, I mean, I feel like somebody had to have been like... Dudes, this is this is not this isn't gonna work. This is this is not a good use of money. Um, anyways, enough about friend request. <laughs> um, yeah, we've already said way too. We've much. already said way too much about friends. Of friend but, I, but I believe I was pretty close on the uh, box office estimates here. You were because I think Matt, you thought it it was gonna stay in first, I, didn't you? No, I thought it was gonna be Lego. Oh, that's right. I think we both got it right, saying it would be in second. But I had Lego in first, and I think Kingsman in third. Yeah, and I had I had Kingsman doing in the mid thirties, and I had Lego in the twenties. Well, you uh, you did pretty good then, Mike. Um, well, I pay attention to what the studios were seeing. Yeah, well that that helps. <laughs> um, well, so n- no huge surprises there. Um, I guess next week next week is going to be interesting because we do have. Um, we do have some more good films that are, are coming out. Um, one of which, one of which I also saw that we're going to talk about today, uh, Battle of the Sexes and then American Made, which I didn't see, but you two saw, um, what are your predictions for, for next week? How do you think, uh, things are going to play out? I don't know. I think it might be another Kingsman taking the lead. Mike? No, I, 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 it's going to be Kingsman again. I think it's got legs. Um, I, I did not enjoy it, but um, it, it got pretty good. Uh, a lot of critics did. Um, did it's they? going to be a 
it's going to be a well, not a lot, but a, a, there were some critics out there. But that, but apparently there's a there the audiences are like yeah. It. I think King's Dominion first, but it's going to be a pretty crappy uh, weekend for the box office. I think King, we're talking about it's not going to take that much to be number one. I think it's going to be like you know between seventeen and twenty million. Um, we're going back uh, to August. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think I think American Made is not going to be a huge box office. Um, I think it'll come in second, and I think that. Um, uh, it and Lego Movie, one of, one of those would be third and one of them would be fourth. We've got a couple of other new movies that are coming out, uh, Flatliners, which not only are they not screening this film for critics, they're not even doing a Thursday night screening. That's that's how bad I think this movie's going to be. And then the movie we're going to also talk about, Battle of Sex, it's the, I think it'll come in six. Um, so that's what I'm looking at so it's going to be a pretty pretty bad weekend um, nothing's going to just jump out and run away with it but next weekend October 6th you know what is going to run away with it? On, Blade on, on Blades it's going to run away <laughs> sorry <laughs> um, run away to the year 2049 heck yeah <laughs> Um, so we're going to be reviewing that one next week. So we won't we won't dive into that now. Um, well, you don't think you don't think the My Little Pony movie is going to going to beat Blade Runner? Nope. <laughs> um, I don't know those those bronies are pretty hardcore. Bronies are pretty hardcore from what I've heard about them. Um, are either of you guys screening that movie? No. No, unfortunately, they're running. They're doing the screening at eleven a.m. on Monday, and I can't I can't go that early. No, they're doing it on Saturday. My Little my, Pony. No, I thought you were, oh, no, I thought Blade you were talking about Blade Runner. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to Blade Runner. Yeah, I'm going to be a Blade Runner. But are, but are you, I will not. Are you going to see My Little Pony, though, Mike? No. <laughs> are you, Mike? Are you? <laughs> you see everything. You do. I haven't decided. That's a I yes. I haven't decided. I'm just, I'm, yes. trying, I'm, just, I'm deciding today. I feel like you That's should go. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you should go because I want to talk about it next week. <laughs> um. <laughs> just give us the experience of, like, the, the, the theater and kind of audience that attracts yeah i want to know more about the brony culture the ponies (laughs) the ponies ponies that are in it i hear they're little little i don't really know that much about it (laughs) are they mined huh are they mined are they what (laughs) mine my little ponies oh yeah i don't have any ponies i don't have any little ponies either all right (laughs) all right we've devoted too much time to to my little ponies (laughs) Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into our reviews for this week. Uh, we have Battle of the Sexes and American Made. Um, let's start with the one that I also saw because I feel like I can contribute the most to that one. Um, Battle of the Sexes. Uh, Mike, do you want to set that one up for us? Sure. Since I was alive when it actually happened, <laughs> that's, that's why I felt like it'd be good for you to set it up. <laughs> so it's basically the. Uh, it takes place in uh, 1973. And uh, there was a tennis match that was took place in the Astrodome, and and literally everybody watched this tennis match. It, um, it was I can't I, it was on ABC. Uh, Howard Cosell uh, was the announcer for it, and so it's a tennis match between Bobby Riggs, who was a, an aging Hutchster. He'd been a great star, but that was back when he was in his twenties. Now he's in his fifties, and basically he basically is a not a con man, but he will bet on anything. And he decides, he comes up with an idea, uh, being 
portraying himself as a sexist, quote, sexist pig. And he challenges Billie Jean King, uh, who was the number one tennis player at the time, to a match. And uh, so it's the story of Bobby Rings and Billie Jean King. And at the same time, Billie Jean King, who's married to a man, starts falling in love with a woman and uh, having to deal with 1973 politics at the time when basically if you came out as gay, you basically would lose your career. And that's what the film's about. Cool. Um, well, let's jump right on into it on a scale of one to five. Uh, how bored were you guys in this film? I, I'd i give it a 2.5. Um I, my I expected to see more about the, the tennis match between, um, Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. You know, I thought the trailers very much hyped up the match, and that the majority of the movie would be about this big tennis match and the implications of it. Um, I found the film itself to be mostly focused on Billie Jean King's relationship with um, her hairdresser. And it took a while for it to get to to the actual tennis. Fair enough. And so I'll I was, I just kind of just kept waiting. I was like, okay, when's when's that gonna happen? And it kind of just it lingered too long on the whole relationship thing. I would give it a two. Um, I agree with Matt. I, I felt uh, that the that side was um, there was too much of it. Um, and I would have liked to, you know, they, they briefly show some stuff that Riggs did, but Riggs was a, a very driven man. Um, and for these these bets that you would do, I mean, he would do just weird bets, like how many can, could he bounce a ping pong ball off of each step? You know, it's just weird stuff like that. But, but then he would, in order to set up the bet, he would practice for hours and hours of doing all this weird stuff so that he would make sure that he was going to win. Um, and I would love to see more of that side of, of, of uh, Bobby Riggs and a little less of the, uh, the realization that she's a lesbian uh, side of the film. Right. Yeah, no, I would. I definitely would agree with that. I feel like especially in the beginning, there were just some really long um, moments of it, it's one thing when you you understand what they're trying to to create and they're trying to imply, but I felt like some of the the lingering looks and some of the camera work <laughs> it was just a little too much. It was a little too much in my face, and I definitely agree that I feel like um, you know the the bigger picture story should have been more of the focus and less about her relationship. Uh, with her hairdresser, but I mean that is something that's you know uh, very much in in television and film right now talking about you know those types of rela- or these types of relationships. So I get what they were trying to do, and it is very much a yeah. an empowering a, a female empowering film. Um, but I do agree it should have been more focused on the tennis and and the actual match. Um, so I, I would give it a two point five um, for boredom uh, because of that. So what about for eye rolling, one to five? What would you what would you give Battle of the Sexes? I don't know if there was much for eye rolling. Um, I'd probably give it a one or one point five. Like I wasn't really rolling my eyes much because I mean it is a very interesting story and it is a part of our history. Um, and so they do 
do some things. It's very entertaining, especially the uh, Bobby Riggs part. I mean, Will, or not Will. Um, oh, my God. Steve Carell? Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is really funny, and, like, he is over the top as Bobby Riggs. And so there's a but little it, bit of eye-rolling with him. But, have, I mean, having, that's his have, character. Yeah. Having lived, having lived through this, having actually, I remember both the, the Riggs plays uh, Margaret Court first, who uh, had beat Billie Jean King and become the number one player um, and just destroyed uh, Margaret Court uh, on the tennis um, court. Having, and, and then I also saw the match between Billie Jean King and Bobby, Bobby Riggs, and they perfectly captured that all that stuff, even the, the coming out, uh, uh, you know, with on the on the platforms, you know, where Billie Jean's, you know, being carried by six hunky men, and uh, you know, all that stuff happened. Um, that was very accurate. Um, and I imagine, I imagine some of the footage that they, they actually use some of the footage well, yeah, like they, of the crowds actually, and stuff. Yeah, there is actual footage being used and they really well did a really good job of incorporating the actual footage of, of Howard Cosell, um, which some some of our listeners may not know who Howard Cosell was, but he was uh, the one of the original guys on Monday Night Football and he was a very um, bombastic and... Uh, very hated uh, 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 sportscaster uh, did Monday Night Football, but he he did a lot of other stuff for ABC, um, and hence he was the the host of this this uh, this TV show that that uh, Bobby Riggs and Billy Jean King's uh, match was on. But yeah, for I think for me, the only time I was really rolling my eyes was just um, at the crazy stuff uh, that Riggs, uh, played by Steve Carell, was was doing. And it wasn't in like an annoyed sense. It was in like a oh my god, really? Like that's what he's doing. Yeah. So it wasn't but, but, it wasn't annoyment. So it was just kind is, of this is the '70s. Yeah. So I mean, like they got away with a whole lot more exactly sexist right. and, stuff and, than you and, could today and, uh, at and all. all the- exactly. And all that stuff they they showed, Riggs did all that stuff. Oh, I, I mean, believe he, it. He did, he did all that stuff. You know, what, whether it's playing tennis with a couple of dogs uh, that he's having to walk and, and, or, you know, in the, in the uh, Bo Peep outfit and with the sheep. I mean, he would, he would do all that stuff. That's the, that's the type of hustler he was. I mean, at the end, they showed that naked picture of him. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Steve Carell brilliant. Brilliantly. Brilliantly, I gotcha. <laughs> Brilliantly recreated. Yeah, so, that was. So, uh, yeah. No, I I totally believe he did everything. So, um, for for best and uh, worst performance in this, who would you give these to? Because I I don't personally feel like there it's, was a bad performance in this. I think everyone no. was really good. Yeah, and it, like it's really hard between you know Emma Stone and Steve Carell because both of them just perfectly capture the spirit of each of these characters and so i think i'm gonna i think emma stone edges out Carell just a little bit just because the film is so much more about her yeah so i'm gonna give it to her a, a fun fact for you guys um Fun fact. fun fact! The first time. fun fact of the episode. <laughs> um, Billie Jean King was actually 29 during this match, and Bobby Riggs was 55. And, of course, at the time of filming, Emma Stone was 28, and Steve Carell was 54. So just under a year under the actual ages of uh, Billie Jean and Bobby, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> 
Well, the other thing about this movie is it's the supporting cast is so good. Um, I mean, Sarah Silverman is really good. And Bill Pullman um, plays Jack Kramer, who's basically this, he's head of the, uh, the Lawn Tennis Association, and um, he basically starts the catalyst uh, for this because he starts up a, a tournament and that where they're going to pay the men, uh, the winner, $12,500, and they're going to pay the woman's uh, winner $1,500. And um, he's really good as this kind of evil guy. I mean, you have Elizabeth Shue, who makes a rare appearance, and she's really, really good at playing uh, Bobby Riggs' uh, wife. Um, my my buddy, Natalie Morales, uh, plays Rosie Casals. <laughs> who um, um, I thought she was great because uh, that was Rosie Casals. She was always the uh, kind of the tomboy, kind of uh, the scrappy personality um, of the women of those of that time. Um, even even like uh, just a smaller part, Fred Armisen comes in and plays this really creepy vitamin guy that works with Bobby Riggs. Um, and then Alan Cumming. Um, I loved him in this. He was hysterical. Yeah, he's, he, he, yeah, he's the he's a designer, and he designs all the outfits for the women when they create their own uh, women's tour. Um, so I think the, the whole cast is just really, really good. Um, one one last fun fact for you guys here, because I want to I want to get your take on this. Um, Emma Stone, of course, was original initially cast as uh, in in the lead, but scheduling issues forced her to pass on the role the first time around and Brie Larson um, was actually tapped to replace her but then after a few months Larson dropped out and then Stone's schedule kind of fixed itself and she was able to, to come back and take on the role. How do you guys think Brie Larson would have fared in this? Because I could I could see it. I think I she see, would do a good job. I could see, yeah. I could see Brie Larson doing a really good job with this as well. I mean, granted, now that we've seen Emma Stone do it, like, she's great in it. Yeah. But I mean, like, this is one of those casting where you're not like, eh, that wouldn't have worked. I mean, like, I could definitely see her taking on the role. Yeah, I think Brie Larson can do just about anything, so <laughs> I think would have been fine with it. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, but um, but now that you mention it, Mike, I will say that I thought Fred Armiston did feel really out of place in the film. Like, he's one of those familiar faces where you're like, okay, what's he going to do? And then, like, he's just there in the background feeding Bobby Riggs pills and massaging well, his hand. If you look at the like, original if you look at the original footage of the match, he's this he was that guy was so creepy. The guy was spot was on. Just, yeah, I mean he was just so weird looking and just and and that whole thing when when Riggs has the the hand cramp and it, mm-hmm. and Arvis's character is uh massaging it like he doesn't know how to do it. Um you know, it's that was that was in the match, and it was just it was so weird. Well, uh, this I guess you just had to be there, <laughs> or be alive during it to watch it. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so this one wasn't shot in Atlanta, so not a very high ATL factor. Um, it did film in in uh, LA. So uh, overall, though, on the scale of one to five, what would you guys give Battle of the Sexes? The official Atlas scale. I- official atlas go i'd give it an atl um you know i really enjoyed the performances of the film especially by emma stone and steve carell i thought they did a wonderful job at capturing you know this this scene and this this moment in sports history um i would have liked to seen more about the tennis match um 
that was basically my biggest complaint of all. Like, it took too long to get to it. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm giving it a three. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, just because I loved all the performances in it. Um, I mean, obviously, I knew what was going to happen. Uh, so uh, nothing was new as far as uh, the, the storyline for me. But uh, it's, uh, I think it's a well-done film. Um, I don't think that this is not going to be a, uh, an Oscar-caliber uh, um, movie. I don't think it'll get anything out of it. Um, but I still enjoy the film a lot. Yeah, I, I would probably echo those sentiments and also give it a 3.5. Um, it did feel kind of... Um, just drawn out and you know as we've already discussed the the kind of the relationship stuff uh, I think could have been a little bit less and more of a focus on you know the the overall theme of you know this girl taking on this guy and this female empowerment angle to it and just the the sport and game itself Um, so I I would agree with that I would give it a ATL with a I guess a, a little tiny A Little tiny A. Little tiny A. Little tiny A. Um, uh, cool. Well, uh, moving along, let's uh, let's talk about Tom Cruise's new film, American Made, uh, which, fun fact, was not made in America. Um, so. Although, well, it was. Yeah, it's, it's, it was. It was, it was, it was, it was here Georgia, Georgia. Georgia made. What? Oh, I. Okay. My bad. I mean, there was some, <laughs> there was some scenes shot in Columbia, but it, yeah. most of it was shot here in Georgia. Yeah, that is not that is not the first thing that appeared on my list until the end. So, um, yes, I guess there's going to be an ATL recognition factor here. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. We got an extra category to cover today. <laughs> we do. In fact, um, it was uh, uh, filming took place in Madison and Ball Ground, wherever. I don't yeah. have no idea where either those two towns are, but. I, I see that, yeah. that it was transformed it was, into the real town of Minya, Arkansas, Mina. Uh, for, for Mina. this movie. And it's the largest event of a public... Na- this is the largest event of a public nature and this type of grand exposure to occur in ball grounds history. So I guess it's a pretty... Uh, if, the, if this is the largest event and... Uh, Grand exposure of this. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look up some facts on ball ground while we go into this because now I'm intrigued about where ball ground Georgia is. Um, yeah. That being said, uh, Matt, do you want to set this one up for us? Yeah, sure. So the film follows Barry Seal. It's a true life story, true-ish, I guess, because it is a film and they do. T- uh, but um, it follows Barry Seal, who is a TWA pilot in the '70s. And he is recruited by the CIA to do some surveillance over South America. And so he does that, and eventually he gets to the point where he is doing surveillance, and then he is he meets the, uh, the Medellin cartel. So he uh, meets Pablo Escobar, and he eventually starts running some drugs for them on the side, smuggling drugs into the U.S., and everything evolves so where he's basically doing stuff for the CIA, doing stuff for the, the cartel, and then eventually gets to the point where he's helping the CIA smuggle guns to the Contras. And so it's all these things are just escalating and escalating, and he's just making tons and tons of cash. And so 
it's this story of Barry Seal as he is just basically thrown into this crazy world of drugs, guns, and all this ridiculous stuff. It's it's really really crazy. Yeah, it's it really doesn't. It's not South South. Um, it's uh, Central America. Gotcha. Is where it all all, it, all takes place. Well, if you guys are wondering about where Ball Ground is, um, it's uh, <laughs> located roughly 48 miles north of Atlanta. It's exit 27 off of 575, so pretty pretty north of the city. Um, as of 2010, which looks like the last time there was a census done, um, it was 1,400 people population. Uh, it's about a, a 5.8 square mile uh, area. So there, there's your fun facts about Ball Ground. Yeah. Well, so what, what happens is Tom Cruise, um, uh, his character, uh, basically, uh, best way to describe it is he gets outed uh, uh, working for the CIA by, of all people, um, uh, President Reagan on national television, um, where he'd taken pictures of the cartel. And um, so the CIA then says, well, you've got to leave uh, Louisiana, where he was based, and we're going to put you in Arkansas. So they put him in this tiny town um, that's really run down and, uh, you know, barely had, it's, you know, when they're there, the first time they drive through the town, uh, Tom Cruise's character is trying to uh, uh, make his wife a um, uh, uh, little, little, you know, make the move a little easier. Um, and, uh, so uh, his wife's played by uh, Sarah Wright, um, and so he points out, well, look, they have a barbecue place, but like everything else is just closed down, um, and it's just this tiny little town. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, that's why. That we actually we actually got pictures um, when they were filming because they filmed it under Mina. Yeah. The name of the town they filmed that was the uh, the film code for when they filmed here. And so we actually have some pictures up on shakefire.com of the behind the scenes of Ballground, Georgia, and how they switched it all up to make it look like Arkansas. And we have a couple of pictures of like, there's like a dozen banks like in the small town because basically Tom Cruise, his character basically um, has to launder all this, all this cash he has. And so like he actually finances a bunch of banks and so there's like a dozen different banks in this one little small town. And so like, yeah, we got some pictures up of all the different banks in Arkansas and even one of Tom Cruise. So cool. If you want to check that out. Cool. Um, well, let's uh, let's move on into to our review. Um, that was the longest setup we've ever had, by the way, in Atlas podcast <laughs> history. I just want to commend commend you guys on that. <laughs> um, but uh, moving right along, um, on a, a boredom scale of one to five, how how bored were you guys during this one? I wasn't bored that much. Um, I would probably give it a, a 1.5. Um, you know, it's just Tom Cruise's character, Barry Seal, is just, he's just absolutely crazy. Um, it's ridiculous and over the top. Um, and just just the situations he's getting him, himself into is just it's hilarious in one way because you know he's he's getting all this cash like the, it goes through these different scenes of him trying to basically just find a place to put his cash and like he has so much of it like he's run run out of places to put it so like he can't bury it because his backyard is full of duffel bags full of cash already 
and like he's using it as hay for where he keeps horses like it's just it's just over the top and so a lot of the film is like him because you don't you don't expect you don't he's not the kind of guy you expect to be this you know multi-million dollar drug smuggler and it's just crazy i give it a two um I got bored a couple of times. I, I fit, the movie's almost two hours in length, and I just felt it was a little too long. Um, it, 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 this story is it's just a wild story, and there's quite a bit of uh, comedic uh, uh, settings in this film. Um, uh, it, it's kind of meant to be like it's uh, like Wolf of Wall Street, um, but the problem is that this is a Tom Cruise movie. And Tom Cruise is not going to ever, I don't think, ever again uh, play a character that you don't like. Um, so I, that was one of the problems I had with the film was that he, he's a totally likable character. He's just a guy that makes really bad decisions all the time and also thinks he can use his charm and, and he thinks he's, he's smart, but I don't think he really is. Um, to get out of every situation. Um, but I just, I wanted a little harder edge to it. Um, I wanted him to, to, to be less of a good guy and more of a, a character that probably was very flawed. Um, but we don't see that other than the fact that he just makes bad decision after bad decision. Gotcha. Um, so on the eye rolling scale of one to five, where does this one land? I don't know if I was rolling my eyes that much during it. Um, yeah, I'd probably give it a one. I mean, I can't... Nothing comes to mind that I was rolling my eyes. Yeah, I don't I don't really have any eye rolling. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of... Like I said, there's a lot of comedy in this film. So there are some, some very funny situations, but you're not eye rolling at them, so... Gotcha. I mean... There's, there's a great scene in the trailer, so I can give it away. It's where uh, he's in this there's this very fast uh, twin-engine uh, propeller plane, and um, he's trying to evade the DEA, who uh, earlier tried to, to catch him with using jets, and then Tom Cruise just figured out, I'll just go really, really slow, because uh, this propeller plane can do that, and you're not going to be able to, to, to stay with me. So they, the DEA uh, uh, figures that out, and so they're chasing him with prop planes also. And he decides to, in order to get away from DEA, he just lands the plane on a subdivision street, and the plane crashes um, into a tree in front of a house. And there's like a kid on a bike that's just looking at him, and because he crashes, one of the bags of cocaine just kind of explodes, and he gets covered in cocaine. And Cruz jumps out with a, uh, a bag of money, hands the kid like three, uh, I don't know how much money, but it's a lot of money, hands him like three uh, things of money and says, uh, um, this is for your bike and takes the bike. And he's literally riding the bike down the middle of the street covered in cocaine to get away from the DEA. That's the type of the funny stuff that's in this film. Uh, so for best performance, would you guys give that to to Tom Cruise in that in this one? Um, actually, I I think I love Tom Cruise in it, but I would give it to uh, Dom Hall Gleason. He plays Schaefer, 
which is a code name, and he works for the the CIA, and he's kind of Tom Cruise's handler in the film and his point of contact. And you know, he just he always shows up at the the most random moments, and he's always asking Tom Cruise to do more and more. Like he's the one who gets him first involved in the the uh, the operation to begin with and then he's like yeah we're gonna bring over some some of the contras to here to train them and you're gonna bring them in and like we're gonna send you're gonna send them the guns and like i i just i just loved his performance in this so i'm gonna give it to him as the best yeah i would i would agree um i i think i'm not as enamored with tom cruise performance because i think he's just doing the usual tom cruise performance you know he's been doing this forever and it's the same it's the same vein like I said, it's a guy that thinks he can get away with stuff because he's good looking and he's got he's got you know he's able to to smooth his way out of a lot of situations. Um, uh, but but uh, 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 Gleason's really good in the role of, of the handler who just shows up all the time in this film. I also like Sarah Wright who plays his wife. Um, I've, I've been a big fan of her for a long time. She's done mostly TV work, um, so it's nice to see her getting a, a, a feature film role. Cool. Um, well, obviously, this one actually has uh, Georgia recognition or recognition factor in it. Um, We're not going to talk about worst? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, sure. We can talk about worst, too. Was there a really bad performance in this one? Well, it's like Jesse Plemons is in this, you know, who people probably know from, like, Friday Night Lights. Um he just feels really out of place. He plays the sheriff of the town that they move to. And, like, he has a few scenes where he's not doing much, but he's on screen. And he's just like, okay, why is Jesse Plemons in this movie? Yeah, I, I think it's just to, to show that the, the town was willing to kind of look the other way and not question anything because uh, uh, Barry Seal was bringing so much money into the town. You know, he's building, he built his kid a, a baseball field in the town and you know he's providing all these jobs he's literally hiring people um you know to be heads of dummy corporations um because he's got he's got to launder all this money um and i think that's just the reason why he's in there but he's not given a lot to jesse plymouth is not given a lot to do like, other than yeah. there's one one scene well yeah like the character yeah i understand that but it's just it could have been played by anybody, really. It yeah, didn't have to yeah. be Jesse Plemons. But he has experience also, with the money laundering true. drug shows. Just saying, <laughs> because I loved yeah. him in Breaking Bad, and yeah. I I still think that he is like Matt Damon's doppelganger. Um, but that's all I'll say on that. Yeah, and also and we should we, we should mention Caleb Landry Jones, yeah. um, who plays uh, Sarah Wright's bro- <laughs> brother. He's just. He's really good in, but man, he plays a weird character. I mean, uh, just. that's what I was gonna say. I want to give props to him because he is always playing a weird character. He he was the brother in Get Out, so that alone should should clue you into just how weird and like he's pretty much just equally as weird as he was in that. Yep. Gotcha. Let's let's just put let's put it this way: his character. Um, uh, steal some money from Tom Cruise's character, you know, because he literally Tom Cruise has got money laying around everywhere. And what does he go buy? He goes buy a gremlin, an AMC gremlin. <laughs> it's the car of his choice. Well, uh, as I was saying earlier, 
<laughs> this this apparently was filmed in Georgia. So um, <laughs> I think because like I knew it under the code name and like the name that it filmed under that I just didn't even put two and two together that this was the same film. Um, but uh, since it was, um, I, none of us have clearly been to Ballground since we didn't know where it was in the state. Um, but is there anything that says Georgia to you guys in this? Is there a recognition no. factor at all? No. I no. mean, there's the giant filmed in Georgia at the end of the credits. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no. I mean, like, you don't recognize. Unless, I'm sure, I'm sure people from Ballground will recognize it. Yeah. If you don't, if you're not, no. It's, it's basically any small town. Gotcha. Um, well, on a scale of... Actually, you know what? I'm going to give you some fun facts that maybe will make you appreciate the film more before you give me your, 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 final, your final score for the film. Um, so here are your fun facts Lay it on for me. American Made. Um, this script was actually uh, featured on the 2014 blacklist of most liked unproduced film scripts. So there's that. Um... There is, what else we got here? Um, so this is the second collaboration between Tom Cruise and um, Doug Liman, who of course also did Edge of Tomorrow in uh, 2014. This is Tom Cruise's first R-rated film in nine years. Uh, first one since 2008's Tropic Thunder. Uh, hmm. That's interesting. Um, that's a fun fact. Yeah, that's that's kind of what, what I was kind yeah. of talking about. It's, yeah, because of the fact that Tom Cruise, I don't think we'll ever make another film where he's not a likable guy. And that R rating, the R ratings in this one, there's some a few scenes that are warranted. Um, there's a lot of cussing also. Um, there is some violence also, um, but I, it, it's it's a it's a pretty soft R uh, rating. Yeah, it's um, and I. It mentions that despite so, the the presence of cocaine in the film, none of the characters are actually seen at any point consuming it. So. Um, but I guess just the presence of drugs in the film probably has some effect on the ratings. Yeah. Um, Ron Howard was also uh, was actually considered to direct, but lost out to uh, Doug Liman, which is interesting. Um, let's see what happens. I think he'll survive. This is my favorite. <laughs> this is my favorite fun fact in here because I feel like why is oh. this in here? This is the second Favorite movie film. to be released in September 2017 with the word American mm. in it. The first being American Mer Assassin. <laughs> we actually mentioned that. That was mentioned at the screening. That's <laughs> yeah, one of the critic, one of the, our fellow critics brought that up. That's just such an interesting uh, fact. Um, the other one that's also kind of interesting is this is the second of two films starring Tom Cruise to be released in 2017, beginning with The Mummy, in two th or, uh, which was the summer. And uh, both films are from universe Universal Pictures. So another kind of random fun fact that doesn't seem like it should be in here. Um, so that, those are my, my fun facts for you for, for this one. Um, yeah, that's, Thanks, Emma. You're welcome. Doing what I can for the movies I haven't seen. <laughs> um, all of that being said, um, scale of one to five on the official Atlas scale, what would you give American Made? I'd give it a Atla, you know, four out of five. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Tom Cruise's performance. Um, it's just a really fun movie, I felt. And yeah, it was good. 
I'll give it a 3.5. I didn't quite enjoy it as much as Matt did, but I still did enjoy it. Um, like I said, I just wish it had been a little bit of a harder edge to to his character. Got it. Well, cool. Um, so both of those are out this Friday, so you can check them out. And um, next week, we're going to have the ultimate review that we've all been waiting for. Whoop, whoop. Blade Runner. Although I don't think Mike will have seen it by the time we record, so that's going to be interesting. Oh, yeah. Have we ever done a review that we have seen that Mike won't? I've never. I don't think so. It's a first. First in the Atlas podcast. You've done some TV shows. <laughs> You've done some TV shows that I haven't seen, so... Well, um, I'm, I think that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, and, of course, we'll... Should, should we talk up? talk about the the uh blade runner the, the thing we have to sign in order to see blade runner um well i think that violates i think i probably even just saying that we're going to review it next week i think pretty much uh although we <laughs> haven't we haven't signed the nda yet we have to sign a document saying that we won't say that we've reviewed the film even though the embargo like lifts two hours before uh, before we screen it on Monday. So, like, reviews are going to start being online Monday afternoon. Um, all of that being said, I probably just violated the NDA. I've not signed yet. So, um, yeah. it's a... Way to go, Emma. <laughs> By the way, guys, uh, take a lunch because uh, it's 163 minutes long. Oh, jeez. All right. It, it was rumored that it was going to be three hours long, but it's still darn close to it. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, too, but I may have to push an afternoon meeting. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this one. It's, I mean, it's going to be great. It has to be great. I have very high expectations, so it better not disappoint me. <laughs> um, so we'll have that for you guys next week, along with a bunch of other fun stuff. Um, all My Little Pony review, right, Mac? Uh, maybe. <laughs> like, if I... <laughs> Because it's freaking Saturday morning at 11. You will be there. Ugh. It's a movie. <laughs> Why aren't you going to be there, Matt? Because I have better things to do. <laughs> like what? Like anything else. So you're implying that I don't have anything better to do? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get that movie count up before the end of the year, Mike. Yeah. You got you to gotta beat your uh, your count from last year. So this is just I have, one I'm more. I'm not going to beat. There's no way I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm not beating the count from last year. That's that's not not possible. Do you know what you're at that's, so far this year? That's because you're not. That's because you're not seeing My Little Pony. <laughs> um, you're gonna be one movie behind, and you're gonna be like, God, I wish I saw My Little Pony. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not even. Because last year, I saw 340 films. Jeez. Um, yeah, and and I already know that um let's see as of i'm looking up because i do keep a list um i had to, i haven't done august yet but um as of end of july I've, I've seen 184 films and in july of last year i was already at 221 so there's no way i didn't you know i didn't go to macon film festival that's that's going to be one reason um and I didn't go to as many films as I normally do for the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, um, so I already know that I'm not. I'm be, I'm be lucky to to break 300 this year. Well, that's not. Speaking of 300, how's your beer count doing? Um, I'm still at uh, 296. 
You ruined my birthday, Mike. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tr- consume five, set, no, seven beers on that night? That was night? my one wish. My one wish. Ah, uh, well, you guys. This is, <laughs> what a way to end the podcast. <laughs> this is the this has been fun, but I have to go hop on a plane here shortly. So <laughs> I'm I'm gonna close us out. Um, thank you guys for listening to the Atlas Podcast, and we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, editor in chief at FanBolt.com, and I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney of Last One to Leave the Theater and ATLCW.